On this episode of Sega Talk, we fire 100 missiles, or is that 400, into the air and see where they land as we talk about Treasure's Bangayo. What classic game inspired this 2D shoot 'em up? How does it compare to the N64 original? Find out on Sega Talk. Me, me, me. SegaBits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's up? Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Sega Talk podcast. I'm Barry. With me is my co-host, George. Hello, everyone. Simple. Hello. <laughs> Very simple. And on this episode, we are going to be talking about Bangayo. So, what is Bangayo? Well, it is known in Japan as, and let's try not to book, butcher this, Bakuretsu Muteki Bangayo, which translates to Explosive Invincible Bangayo. Uh, uh, they is... should have kept that title. You think so? You know, like longer yeah. one? Bakeretsu Mutaki Bangayo. Um, it is a shoot 'em up video game developed by Treasure for Japanese N64 consoles in September 1999. And if you're thinking, like, I thought this was Sega Talk, well, the game only had a limited run in Japan with only 10,000 copies produced, which apparently was like a thing for early Treasure releases. I never was aware of that. Like, they're. Really, like, a, they were limited-run games before limited-run games, basically. Right. Um, but think of that. Like, only 10,000 Bangayo Japanese cartridges exist. Those must be rare. Um, Very rare. However, with assistance from Conspiracy Entertainment, it was brought to the Sega Dreamcast only three months later on December 1999 in Japan. And the game eventually released worldwide with a U.S. release on March 22nd. 2001. The European version actually released a little bit before that on October 20th, 2000, and that was published by Swing Entertainment. And <laughs> what was um, it again? What were they called? Swing Entertainment. Okay. Just and then to make sure it was dis- it was distributed by Virgin Interactive. Um, oh. You know, I before I go on, I. As a kid, I never knew what that meant, but now I'm like, it's kind of wild that this company's called Virgin, you know, and it's like right. Virgin Games, Virgin Airlines. Like, is it a joke? Uh, that, that, I don't know. Or is it like trying to invoke, like, I don't know, some other uh, creepy vibes of a, like a dude stalking the, I don't know, like, it's either the nerdy guy that's never got laid or uh, a young <laughs> woman, which is even worse, probably. It's I mean, like, both if you weird. did like, yeah, it's like if you did Incel Interactive or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, well, I guess Intel, Intel Pentium Processor. It, Intel's pretty close to Intel. Um, anyway, uh, the game's working title was Muteki Robo 893, and then in parentheses, Yakuza. So technically, I guess it would be a Yakuza game. Um, this right, episode was actually a Patreon pick. George, do you want to tell the fine people about patreon.com slash sagerbits? If you guys want to support us, and everything we do, like these videos, uh, talking about obscure Sega games, and maybe even sometimes Nintendo 64 original games that became Sega games, you can support us at patreon.com slash segabits. Uh, we have different tiers. Uh, $1 gives you the audio version early. $5 gives you the video version early. Every tier lets you t- tell us your memories about the games. And if you pay $20 and over, you get to tell us what we talk about. So check it out. Thank you for your support. And this episode was actually a Patreon pick. It comes from Michael S. And because he's the picker, we get to read his memories at the top of the show. So he told us, I picked this game up as uh, soon after the Dreamcast was discontinued when most of the games hit bargain bins or went on sale, it seemed. I didn't have money to buy a different console, so the Dreamcast is by far the most played and remembered console. 
I really liked how much and how fast you could destroy things in this game. Seeing so many bullets fly around and all the different enemies was great. It's also easy to pick up and play for a few minutes, and the levels were short, and there was an anime-like story. So, George, share your memories of Bangayo, and uh, do you own this hidden gem, this classic? I do not own it, and I actually have not even beat the game. It's one of the. It's actually one of the, the uh, rare ter- uh, treasure titles that I haven't played all the way through. Um, I my only history with it is that uh, it had no marketing when it came out. I don't even think it had an ad or even a big article on the official Sega Dreamcast magazine. Um, I the only reason I remember it is because I remember it vividly going to like one of those swap meets and I saw it used for like literally next to nothing and I, and I'm almost 100% sure this game is super rare and at the time I didn't know this was actually a treasure game back in the day I don't know if it, if mm. they advertised it on the cover or anything so I I didn't even know and I saw the back of the box and I was like oh it's 2D I could buy bigger 3D games like Code Veronica or something else used so I, I skipped on it, which is probably a, a bad thing because I'm assuming this is a rare game. Yeah, so um, my experience with this, as you mentioned, there weren't really any ads. Uh, there were, I couldn't find any good print ads. I couldn't find any commercials. And in fact, I, I remember reading about this game in the official Dreamcast magazine, but they did not give it like a big feature. And... I think what stuck out to me is all the tiny little sprites. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But I actually did not own this game until 2010. uh, And I know that because I actually still have the eBay email win. So check this out. I got Bangayo in a uh, a lot, you know, like, like a collection of games. So I received Tech Romancer, which I believe was complete. Um... Record of Lotus War, which I believe was complete, a disc-only Sonic Adventure, and then a disc-only Bangayo for a $1. cool thirty-five bucks. Oh my god, no, thirty-five! Dude. You're just uh, this is the problem. <laughs> this is the problem. You know when you when you get on the Facebook page, right? And then there's those people that like have those big yeah. old collections, and you know they like went into debt just to show off. You're the opposite. Right. See, you get mad when you see them, right? But you're the opposite. You're the you're the guy that goes in there and you're like, "Oh yeah, I bought all these for thirty five bucks back in the day," and they get mad at you. I <laughs> so so I have I have and I've sh- I've done collection picks. In fact, I'll I'll do a collection video probably in the next week or two because I got to catalog what I own. Um, but yeah. It, if you look at my collection, it's not massive. It's like one wall of Sega games. Like my, I could, if I put my arms out, I could hold all my Master System and Genesis games, you know, like that. Um, but it's like, I, I would just, I bought this stuff when it was cheap. And I never was trying to get a complete Dreamcast collection. But I have, I think, three-fourths of the American collection. So, mm. in any case... Um, let's, let's do a little quiz time. Uh Uh-oh. Um, so, George, how much do you think a complete U.S. copy of Bangayo sells for on eBay? $256.95. Is that, is that precise Uh, enough? No, we'll we'll go with, um, um, Price is Right rules. So you went over, so, uh, it was $175 for complete. Worth every penny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but you know, like disc. I'm happy with my disc only. I think disc only sells for like a hundred. Okay, how many times so, do you go to Starbucks a day? Five. I don't go to Starbucks oh. every day. I never understand that people go, "Oh, it's less than a price of coffee a day." I'm like, you make coffee at home, dipshit. Right. Like, why are you buying one hundred percent? And they always bump it up. Like they're, over the years, they're like, "Oh, it's like a dollar a day. It's the price of a cup of coffee." Now they go, "It's ten dollars a day. That's like the price of a cup of coffee." I'm like, "Who's spending seventy dollars a week on coffee?" Ten, teenagers yeah. and and like Maybe. old people think anyone that's like less than ten years old, less than them, are just basically teenagers, <laughs> even though they're like thirty. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but anyway, back to Bangayo. My my thing is like I, I think. 
I understand the collectability of games. Like 175 is, I think, too much for this. But let's say you're a huge Treasure fan. You like to have the, the complete package. You like to have the manual. Like, I get it. Uh, for me, having the disc only, that's about the equivalent of having a burned disc. Like, it's mm. just not too special for me. I like opening it up, reading the manual. If you remember on our um, Samba de Amigo episode, that was the only way I was able to read the story because no one scanned the Wii manual, which is so funny because the Wii version of Samba de Amigo is like a $5 game. Right. But no no one scanned it. (laughs) But, you know, there's, there's something really fun, not from a collector's standpoint, but more from like just experiencing the the manual and the disc or the cartridge there's something fun there but it's not worth 175 in my opinion um now this is going to be a really weird episode of sega talk and i say that because i'm going to read the story and it's going to be done like that so (laughs) bangayo follows the story of riki and his sister mammy or mamie as they pilot Bangayo against Guy and his Cosmo gang, punishing them for the nefarious crime of fruit contraband. And that is the entire plot to the game. Games like Fantasy Zone from the 1980s have walls of text, like scrolls of story. And here's Bangayo come out of the gate in 1999 being like, a brother and a sister are fighting space pirates for fruit. I think... Sometimes less is more, right? But that's not even less. That's like nothing. That's like a fortune cookie. Right. You know? I mean, I think this game is like a minimalist game. I don't know if that if that would be the right term. Like, if you look at the graphics, it felt like uh, Treasure was literally like, how much money do we have to develop our next game? And they're like, $10. And then they're like, all right, I got an idea. And this is the idea. Because like... This came out on right. on Dreamcast, and it looks like a Game Boy Advance game in a way. The graphics, how the, the pixels look. Oh, absolutely. And then, but what I thought thought was so weird about it, and I said this was a weird episode, is because that story is so short, and yet this game has over forty stages. So many <laughs> stages that I will never do a stage by stage breakdown like we sometimes do, because that right. would get so tedious. Right. So it's almost like. There's a plot that I just already covered, and then there's a stage selection that's so big it's not worth covering. So (laughs) it's like, it's yeah, it's like a it's it's a long game with very very light on content. So yeah, I would say it's minimalist in that regard. I mean, yeah, Um, but there there is something interesting to be said. So the English intro text to the game is completely different between the European and U.S. versions, despite the game itself, as I mentioned, having a very thin plot. And thanks to the website The Cutting Room Floor, we can actually take a look at these two scripts side by side. And they note that the English intro text being different, the European version is actually closer to the Japanese one, whereas the U.S. version was rewritten to incorporate plot details that only appeared in the manual. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that is pretty interesting, I think. So there's actually, the U.S. version has more story, technically. So what do you think about that? Like, the idea that, like, let's say when they did Sonic the Hedgehog 3, and let's say the Japan got it, and then during the time that it came to America, we got new, uh, I guess, Knuckles lore, and now all of a sudden he has grapes in his hand or he's like, you know, I don't know what he, what they would add, right? Uh, whatever they added yeah. in some coloring book, right? Would that be okay? I honestly, I honestly think the classic Sonic games really would have benefited in the English releases to include the text within the game. You know, not, nothing crazy, but just be like a little, like Streets of Rage had just like a little intro over some skies, like... I don't know. I, I actually really like the idea of doing away with the manual entirely when it comes to plot. I think it's it's always an annoyance to me when it's like there's a really cool story, but it's all in the manual. Right. Um, and uh, kids these now days, in the case they play of, them on, in, the, on the ROMs, right? Well, yeah. Well, kids these days, they don't have manuals. The manual right. is in the options screen, and it turns out to be a QR code to a website. <laughs> right, right. So, crazy. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to give some examples here. So the first line of dialogue in the European version 
for the scrolling like intro text it says way off in the distant future at the edge of the universe on the dan star lives a hot-blooded young man meanwhile the u.s version says in the distant future at the edge of the universe lies the planet dan star here ricky makishi works for the people's police like it already it makes sense it's readable i i think the european one sounds like kind of like directly translated english they use uh um, they use google translate yeah it well it, it reminds me of the modern yakuza games where they rewrite it from scratch to make it have more character and like make a little more sense right. um like for example okay so european one says ouch you damned time you damned bandits next time we meet things won't be so simple Father, I'm back. Oh, hello, Father. And then, the, meanwhile, it says for the American one, Ouch, damn space bandits. Next time we meet, you won't get away so easy. Hey, Father, I'm home. Oh, no, Father. So clearly, if you find your father hurt, you don't go, Oh, hello, Father. You go, Oh, no, Father. Can you imagine? Um, your whole family like just like, Oh, oh, hello, family. It's like, uh, dude, what? <laughs> you just got attacked by space pirates. Right, right, right. And and what what's so funny, and I won't read the whole thing. I don't know if you're showing it on the screen, but... Um, I am. It, it says here, like, uh, th- when they see their father hurt, uh, tell me, tell me, what does this mean? Or what does that mean? Like, who who would say... Imagine finding your mom on the floor. You come home and you go, what does that mean? <laughs> Right. Whereas in the American one, they go, Father, are you okay? What happened here? Where's Mammy? Or Mamie. Mammy is problematic. Um, So, yeah, just overall, it it reads a lot more naturally. It it makes total sense. So, yeah, score one for the Americans because, yeah, it just, it's not on the level of, like, turn off every zig, you know, like, meme material. But... You know, it's like the the father calls the bad guys obnoxious. Like, <laughs> space bandits broke into our house, attacked father, smashed his computer. And in Europe, it goes, obnoxious men have suddenly father. They, uh, uh, this, <laughs> so. this is kind of like a trend with the treasure games. Remember we talked about uh, Dynamite Hetty and they were talking about how the American had no text while the uh, Japanese mm-hmm. one was had a whole story. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And level names were changed, too, to make a little more sense. And if you're still sharing, if you scroll down, it shows they actually edited the continue screen between the Japanese and American ones because your continue screen basically shows a naked little boy, the main character, uh, following what is essentially the little girl dressed as what looks like a Ku Klux Klansman. Right. Um, And they changed that to the little boy wearing his underwear and the little girls replaced with like a uh, uh, alien driving a robot. He also has a big piece of ham or like a bone. Yeah. Yeah. He's, Oh, Oh, it looks like it's a piece of ham on a like javelin. You see that? So what they did was they physically just took a large asset and laid it over the right. original art. Right. And then turned the candle into ham. So, Weird stuff. And then that thing is, like, uh, <laughs> taking pictures of the kid naked, so that's even weirder. It's like, I don't understand what they were going for here. There's, like, a thing in the bushes taking pictures of him. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not Japanese. Yeah, it's a weird humor. game. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, what, what do you think about those scripts differing between the two English-speaking regions? Do you think it came down to the... Um, publishers and one just putting a little extra effort into it because remember this is not a japanese game that was localized by one team it was really localized by two different companies in two different regions uh i think they did better in america and i think um i i'm actually i actually kind of like it i think it's uh interesting when um you have fans or people that care about their job enough to be like you know what this needs a little extra a little extra so they go in the manual and they don't just make things up because we i played i've seen some stuff where people just literally make up i think we talked about this in uh skies of arcadia episode some of the translations uh 
were like uh, censored and some were taking more liberties on some of the characterizations and I think some people like it better. Another example you right. brought up was Yakuza with the whole uh, bringing up American memes sometimes and playing them up a little bit in the <laughs> translation. Right, right. Right. Yeah, and you know, as you mentioned with those pictures, like it's a really wacky game, so to to add in really badly translated stuff just makes it really difficult to follow. I mean, I've seen some anime that's weird, but the translations make it make sense. So Right. Um, let's talk about the gameplay. So as mentioned, Bangayo is a shoot-'em-up in which the player pilots a mechanoid, which can fly in one of eight directions, shooting a constant stream of projectiles at enemies and obstacles. Players choose between two main characters, Ricky and Mami, Mami, which are swapped out interchangeably during gameplay and fly through 44 stages, which feature hordes of enemies and bosses. And like Gunstar Heroes games, the character selected dictates the weapon you use. So Ricky fires homing missiles, and Mami shoots reflecting projectiles that bounce off of walls. So I think I know the answer to this, but George, what other treasure game does Bangalore remind you of? Uh, is this a... None. This is a unique game that has never had another game that was quite like it. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to think of their library right now and trying to think of a game that... Are you talking about uh, the way it's trying to be this, like, monster, like, kaiju game, or... I'm thinking of Gunstar Superheroes. Okay, got you. Just the way that the... Because... The way it's all like mapped out and it looks like a Game Boy Advance game, right? Like uh, the bits of it too. Yeah, and also with switching up weapon weapons on the fly and the the bouncing projectile, which I believe is in Gunstar Heroes mm-hmm. and maybe maybe Gunstar Heroes, but definitely Gunstar Superheroes. Right. Um, so there's a little there. Yeah. This definitely reminds me of something that would be Gunstar related. Like just the anime look too. Like it reminds me of Gunstar Superheroes. The remember we said that they changed the characters up? It, Gunstar Superheroes when we talked about it, we talked about that totally different style. The style reminds me more of this than it does uh Gunstar yeah. Heroes. The original so. Yeah, but yeah, it, it definitely has a unique uniqueness of its own it actually kind of reminds me of like if if we were talking about platinum games wonderful 101 because it it stays true to the treasure style just as um wonderful 101 stays true to the platinum game style but it's all about tiny things on screen and a lot of it you know what i mean right and that's the as far as like games that i've played that i enjoy i think wonderful 101 comes closest just because it's not so much about an individual character, but it's more about a screen being filled with all this crazy stuff. Um, the game itself, it sits comfortably in the bullet hell subgenre of shooters with the screen populated by sometimes hundreds of enemies, which can fire just as rapidly as the player. Stages are populated with destroyable buildings and obstacles and walls that can be opened with switches. Part of the challenge of the game is the fact that players' health can deplete even after being damaged. So there's no brief invulnerability. So basically, after being hit, if you're continuing to be hit, that health bar is just going to go straight down. Um, However, destroyed enemies drop fruit. Remember that fruit contraband? uh, Which players can collect to replenish their health meters and change up... Um, and charge up a scatter bomb shot. The scatter bomb attack releases up to 400 shots scattered in all directions at once. And I didn't put it in the notes, but in an interview um, with Schmupulations, they actually talked about the fruit, and they were basically like, wouldn't it be funny if they dropped oranges as like uh, collectibles? And it's kind of like a nod to classic arcade games. Probably they didn't mention it, but like Fantasy Zone, you know, like coins. Um, uh, streets of rage, like chickens. So it's right. just dropping, dropping food. <laughs> right. But um, I have to imagine the story was written backwards from the gameplay. So they were like, "Well, why are these guys dropping fruit? Well, they're stealing the fruit because it's contraband and you're collecting it." Um, so there you go. 
Uh, the Dreamcast version of the game differs from the N64 version in that it changes rules on super moves and adds more content as well as refining assets, including graphics and music. In the Dreamcast version, bullets are stronger uh, and destroying objects and enemies will refill missiles, but this is dependent on how close you are to enemy projectiles. Also in the Dreamcast version, you fire up to 400 missiles at once, compared to the N64 version, which is 100. And in the N64 version, if all 100 shots hit, hit enemies, um, at the, like if every single shot hits an enemy, then you open a portal to a shop, kind of like Fantasy Zone, where you can buy power-ups. However, in the Dreamcast version, they removed this, and instead the game has power-ups hidden amongst the environment that you destroy. So it encourages destroying the environment to find, like, hidden items. Um, yeah, so before we get into the next question, I'm just curious, George, uh, what other N64 ports kind of come to mind on the Dreamcast? And are, do you have any favorites? It, uh, well, I mean, uh, sometimes I'm like, this game, and then you're like, but actually it was a PlayStation 1 port that was ported to the N64 that was later ported onto... Um, I want right. to say Hydro Thunder, but would that be an arcade port that was ported to N64 that got its own port on piece on Dreamcast? No, I think that's fair. I, I believe the... I think the port's actually based on the N64 one, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, I, I, um, I picked that one. Whoop. See, I got one in. What about you? That's a good one. Well, for me, because I remember, and I'm sure you know this too, with the official Dreamcast magazine, they would always like... I feel like dock points on games if they were ports from PS1 or N64. Like, oh, it's just another port. But nowadays we look at that and we're like, thank God this game that's not playable anymore on the right. PS1. Like, it just it's choppy. Graphics look like shit. Like the the Dreamcast version is playable. It, it has better graphics. It has better sound. Um, we just covered the Grinch, which is like kind of a crummy PS1 game, but it it looks nice. Right. Um, my, my pick though would be Rayman 2, I think. That one, I, I believe the Dreamcast version became the definitive version to the point where when the, um, 3DS version came out, it's a port of the Dreamcast release, which is kind of surprising. Right. Um, and other ones include like Star Wars Racer. Right. I really like that one. Um, you mentioned Hydro Thunder. I'm trying to remember if San Francisco Rush 2049 was an N64 port. It could be. Um, but there's there's so many of them, and I actually have started to really enjoy looking back at those. Like um, Gauntlet Legends, that was a PS1 and I think N64 game. Tony Hawk Pro Skater, Spider-Man. I think, Spider-Man's awesome on the Dreamcast. I, I think the uh, PlayStation 1 ports are like, I think, like... The Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 that came out on Dreamcast were really, really good uh, releases of those games. Like, they looked way better on the uh, Dreamcast than they looked on PlayStation 1. And they're rare, too, now. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And there's um, uh, Soul Reaver. Right. There's uh, the one with the guy shirtless. Oh, the Shadow Man. The voodoo one. What is... Shadow Man. Yeah, yeah. That came with a map inside the right. manual. It was so cool. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, don't... Don't sleep on N64 and PS1 ports on the Dreamcast. They're actually like, I'd say those are kind of the hidden gems because people would like scoff at them and go, oh, they're just old games being ported. They're just trying to fill up the library. But now you look back and you're like, that's the definitive version of Rayman 2. You know? Right. So, I, I agree with that one. Um, yeah. So Bangayo, as I mentioned, is unique for a Sega Talk episode because despite taking place during the Dreamcast era, the game is light on plot, light on character, huge on the number of stages, and yet features simplistic yet addictive gameplay. So what game or games does Bangayo most remind you of, and what era do you feel this game should exist in, if not on the N64 and Dreamcast? Um, it reminds me of uh, of this Sega Genesis game that uh, everyone talks about a lot. I forgot what it's called. Like it escapes me. It's like something wing or something. But you play as a mech pilot, and and it has like this really cool hover oh. mechanic, and you shoot things. It's called like it something like it has like two names. One in Europe, it's a different name, but mech. Is it on the Mega Drive Mini Two? It could. It might be. 
Let me see. Oh, is it a Sega CD game? That was Not CD, but I it's a Sega Genesis Mega Drive. Musha? No, not Musha. That Musha. No. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you though. It it definitely uh, feels kind of like an SNES or maybe Genesis game, or maybe even like a game that was in arcades and then ported, you know, and was downgraded a little bit, but still cool. Um, interestingly, and if that game comes to your mind, uh, let me know. Right. But um, the so treasure staffer Mitsura. Yaida, known as Yaiman, is the brains behind Bangayo. And if you said this game feels like an arcade game from the 80s, you'd actually be correct, because Yaida has said that he remembered playing an older shooting game that amazed him with the number of bullets that could be rendered on screen at once. Um, and while this game has never been like officially cited by Treasure, fans figured out that he's actually referring to 1983's Hover Attack, which released to Japanese computers. And before you go, oh, I hope I can, you know, look for the original cartridge or disc or something. No, this game, and I, th- this was new to me, this game was known as a type-in game. And apparently in early 80s Japan, they had this thing called a type-in game, which was a physical book that you would buy that contained all the code like printed in in a book and you would look at the book and copy what you see in the book and you basically typed out all the programming for the game on your home computer to that's run actually, that's actually pretty cool yeah and um i was reading more about type in games apparently like sometimes you'd get a shitty book and they'd make mistakes right. so the game wouldn't work um and so you'd kind of have to troubleshoot it yourself and get it working um, and there were like communities for this, like people who would, you know, be all about typing in it. And it's actually really cool because, um, it's basically the video game version of a cookbook. And I have to imagine that a lot of, um, you know, people in the Genesis or Sega and Nintendo development, uh, world were probably like turned on to game development thanks to this, um, I have a video here, actually, of the game in in progress. I'm not sure if this is the type-in version, because it, it was released elsewhere, and I'm sure not every single one was type-out-your-own-programming. But let's let's just give it a little look. Wow, the music is uh, not, you, not Sega quality, I'll tell you that. Well, no, but you got to rem- remember this is... I mean, you typed out lines of code, <laughs> so... So this is the you game. You did it. That it's your fault. It. So this game's just apparently a little bit less anime. It is cool that they right. did these. Can you imagine doing like Unity game? I guess they do do that, right? Like you buy packs where you make a simple FPS game on Unity. Yeah, but imagine that if you know, there's a big kind of resurgence right now of like dumbed down game I, I, what, what am i trying that one with the hand crank where it's all black and white it's almost like they take away things to make something more appealing to like retro enthusiasts and they're like oh this they just announced a new console it's one button there's no screen and it has one sound effect right you know and people get all crazy i honestly think that if you released a not high-end, but reasonably high-end, like, little video game machine, and you actually had to type out all of the code, I think that would catch on. I think that would be pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I, um, I actually like this idea. I, I didn't know this was a thing back then, but it's pretty cool that you could make these games. And obviously it inspired uh, uh, someone that worked in the game industry when they were a kid. Uh, you know? Yeah. And I have to imagine, too, that there are probably communities who are like, hey, if you alter this line of code, you get unlimited missiles or unlimited health or right. change the mountains to blue. And that's when you start getting, you know, into into game development. Nowadays, I'd say the the closest thing is like um, Sonic the Hedgehog uh, communities where they're like they go into a game that they know full well. And then they're like, well, I'm going to change the sprite. And then they are like, "Well, I'm going to change the level layout." And then all of a sudden, they're they're de- they're coding. You know, they're they're developing a game, even though they're just playing around with pre-existing code. So this is really cool. Type in games. I'm going to have to 
look into that more. I wonder what the books look like, you know? Um, Are you going to collect them but, now? Are you going to look them up on the internet? <laughs> uh, here's my type-in games. I'm uh, Virgin Interactive. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine um, doing your, like, uh, your... He's all Barry is the biggest collector of Japanese type in game magazines. And oh my god. I'd be I, a Chad, right? Right. And if I did an interview with you, I would I would save the question with like the one question would be, um, have you ever done any of the type in games? And you'd be oh no. And that would end the interview like that in the end. Like I've never used Well, you one. know what? They Sorry. were actually in um Western areas too. I see a Commodore sixty four games book. Released in 1983 in in the UK, it's 30 simple games that you can type in the programming for. So everything from Quack to Turkey, Turkey to Fruit Machine, Cats and Dogs, Simon. So very simple games, but um, oh, you can buy it for like four pounds. What is that? Like 150 dollars in American? <laughs> no, I think it's like four bucks, oh. right? I think so. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, they're like so they're like twenty bucks now. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was going to be like that's really cool. Yeah, Commodore sixty four Adventures. And ah, okay. Well, that's a whole thing I never knew about. That's very cool. Uh, let's see. Where was I? Sorry. Bear with me. Bear with you. I was going to say... Bear with me. All right, here we go. Oh, oh, Yaida. So Yaida began work on thinking up challenges that the team might encounter in programming such a game, including detecting when bullets collide with other objects and other issues they might come across along the way. So he worked on a prototype. Later, after presenting the prototype to the president of Treasure, Masato Megawa... Uh, he was given permission to add staff to his project and work towards producing a full game. Yaida served as the main programmer and general manager and oversaw a team of about 10 people. The game was developed with a focus on creating addictive and fast gameplay with less focus on graphics and possibly story and opted for a large and, uh, large and fast 2D effects and anime artwork to preserve the treasure style. One artist on the game... Koichi Kimura had worked on Guardian Heroes and brought his skills and recognizable art style to the table. And despite more powerful development hardware being available to the team, Yaida and his staff wanted to push the limits of 2D graphics. The story, meanwhile, is said to be based on Japanese Yakuza revenge stories. (laughs) So um, the name Bangayo was actually low on a list of possible titles that the the team threw out there. And as you remember, the the Japanese name Bangayo is spelled uh, B-A-N-G-A-I-O-H, so it's phonetic there. Mm. Um, Whereas the English version made O its own little separate thing. Um, And he told this story in an interview that he announced to the team, like kind of enthusiastically, that he decided to go with Bangayo because it he, it stuck in his head, and they all just kind of went silent and were just like, "Oh, cool." <laughs> 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 so they all hated the name. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on the name? I th- I know at the top of the show you actually said you you like the additional words. Um, well, uh, what was it? Uh, it was a little th- explosive, invincible Bangayo. Um, it was a little. It was a little thing called sarcasm. Um, I'm a little. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a professional at it. I got my master's on it. Uh, minored at uh, being an <laughs> asshole. Um, but uh, I think maybe I would have tied it into another. I mean, personally, as a marketing person, I would have just tied it into mm-hmm. another brand that was uh, more popular. Uh, I think if you talk to anyone that used to play video games back then, like hardcore gamers, and you say Bangayo today, they probably won't know what the franchise is. But there's a bigger chance if you said Gunstar Heroes, they would know what that is. Um, right, um, good point. So, like, calling it something like uh, Gunstar Heroes, Gaiden, Mech, Mech Wars, or some, or Mech, uh, whatever, just whatever with Mechs in it, or Kaijus, uh, they could have uh, probably gotten some fans. In it. But most likely, I'm assuming copyright reasons is why it's a new IP. But... 
Yeah. Name it something that has to do with big robots. Bang.io doesn't... It's kind of like... I don't know. What does that remind you of when you think of it? Like you banged a guy. Mine I was thinking like... Oh. Bandai. <laughs> like toys. I think of toys. Because Bandai, Bang.io, oh. kind of the same names. I don't know. I don't know. I'm thinking like on The Sopranos when they're like, Hey, whoa. Bang.io? Oh. <laughs> oh. You know, Bang.io? Oh, I don't play that. Wait. That guy, bang guy, oh, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, if I could retitle the game, I'd probably throw in like giant robot, whatever. Right. Um, I, I I understand though why they were probably just keen to release the game and not like shop around IP mm. and like tie it to something because then they'd probably have to change the game to suit the license holder. They'd go, oh, we don't want missiles, we want hearts and we want kisses or something. Um, Interestingly, we've had on the the Swing and Report show, I think two or three times, Chris Tang, who worked uh, at Atari, Tengen, and Capcom, and he had an interesting career. But one of the things he would do is like suggest titles for games. So he actually named the game Techromancer, which I received Bangio in a eBay bundle with. And I asked him about that. I was like, "Did you have anything really to do with the game outside of that?" And he's like, "No, I just suggested the title, and I liked it." Um, so I, I think get Chris Tang on the phone and he could probably give you a good name for this game. Tech Romancer is, it's kind of pulpy. It, it says tech, like, what are you going to like kiss a robot? I, <laughs> you know? I mean, he has, um, he has renamed his game three times. So maybe that's true. Maybe, I don't know. He might rename this game more <laughs> than that. I'm just joking. Right. Yeah. It's a good point. Um, and I should shout out, and I already did, but uh, thanks to Schmupulations for their work in translating Japanese interviews. I actually got a lot of that information. Um, but if we click on over to the article itself, there are some images they have on there from the original interview that I thought were kind of funny. Um, so scrolling down, you can see uh, artwork done of um, Yaiman, as he calls himself, himself, uh, the creator of Bangayo. Whoa! And he's like a he's like a fish man. You see that? Right. It kind of looks like he was wearing a dress <laughs> at first. I thought it was a, a female character. I was like, oh, he's a female. But then I look hey, at Bangai. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, Bangai. I see. So yeah, they yeah, drew, yeah. Well, This one's crazy. The one with the eyes. Oh, yeah. That is weird. Oh, and you know what? There is a note here, too. Remember that original name I said? Muteki Robo 893? Right. So, in Japanese, 893 kind of sounds like Yakuza. Oh. So, that's why it's, it's Muteki Robo Yakuza. What do you think about that's the character portraits? I actually really like the art. I dig the color, the color usage, the weird designs. Like, there, there's like... Is that a... Like the peacock, but it's a guy in a suit that's like a like a parrot, right? And then you have this like guy with a big old cigar. I don't even know. Right, Frankenstein with a pompadour. I don't know what that is. It reminds. It actually reminds me of Ultimate Muscle. You know those little like uh, flesh tone color wrestlers mm-hmm. that just look like random. Right. Um, and as you can see here, this is like a very long interview, but. So much of it is them being asked, like, why'd you do this? And then he'll be like, <laughs> why not? I just thought it was funny. Or he'd say, like, why did you do this? And he goes, I just, like, uh, came in rider. Uh, you know, yeah. like, it's just, they just kind of did stuff that they thought looked funny or cool. And there's no, there's not a lot of reasoning behind it. They were like, oh, what about the story? And they were like, oh, we, they're like Space Yakuza, you know, <laughs> like. Right. <laughs> um, I like it. They even, at one point, they talk about, like, Oh, we didn't mention this in the story, but there's like other planets, and there's a, a woman planet, and everything's pink, you know. So it's they they're not taking this seriously at all. Um, if you've have you ever seen the anime Dead Leaves? No, I haven't. It's about a space prison, and all the inmates are like completely different. Like there's one who's called Drill Dick, and his dick's a giant drill. That's beautiful. And then there's a guy with a TV head. And then there's, like, a sexy girl. And so that's kind of the vibe I'm getting here. It's just, like, 
an insane mix of weird character designs for the sake of having an insane mix of character designs. It's like mm. Pokemon, basically. Right, right. Um, uh, yeah, and and even it was said, too, that like as far as um, like meetings, sometimes they wouldn't have everyone in the same meeting. So they're like, oh, we're going to talk about story and characters. And the game designers were like, have fun. We don't care. Um, and like even the, uh, all the dialogue was actually done, um, like by people who usually wouldn't be handling the dialogue, I believe. So like the artist would be throwing in some dialogue and the Yaiman, you know, who's overseeing the gameplay would just be like, oh, he's doing whatever. I don't care. (laughs) So, um, it was a very loose sort of, it, it wasn't a tight ship. But I think it actually works to their favor because it creates this kind of like wacky game where story doesn't really matter and it's just just kind of a fun little thing. As long as they stuck to that, you know, core uh, boy and girl in a giant mech fighting Yakuza who are stealing fruit, they were happy. Um, Isn't that kind of what like so going- Metal Slug is, right? You're in a war zone, but you're eating fruit and getting fat. So, <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And, you know, other other games, you'll sometimes find this, like uh, Jet Set Radio, if you look at developer interviews, you think they're going to get really deep. And sometimes they're just like, oh, we thought it was funny. Right. Like, why why did you do this? Why did you do that? And they're like, it was silly. And I, and, you know? I, and I think that, like, people take gaming and old gaming way too deep. Like, they're like, oh, this they did this because they, they're, I'm like, they're racist or they're, they hate women. It's like, no, they just didn't think it through like half the stuff they were just like in the moment basically like oh yeah we're making this game cool we're gonna make this character uh this why because it's funny we're gonna make a planet full of women that's pink why because it's funny that's why there's no other reason no malicious reason it's just there's no no and and i think what i like about this game is it's almost like a sketchbook come to life like a a shoot them up in a sketchbook because none of the ideas were really like they're all kind of half-baked, first con- first draft. You know, they didn't really sit down and try to map out a universe. You called it a, like an I- a new IP. I don't even think they were looking at it like that. They're just like, it's just a crazy, weird game based on this concept. Um, now, as far as release, as I mentioned, the game released September 99 to the N64. 10,000 cartridges. Dreamcast version followed up in December 99. Uh, by February 2000, publishers were actually looking at the possibility of localizing the game for the Dreamcast. And at E3 2000, IGN reported that the game was in the works for being localized. And it was being renamed Bangayo from the original Japanese title. In December of that year, Conspiracy Entertainment announced that they would be localizing Bangayo as well as another Japanese game uh, called Record of Lotus War, which, nice. as I mentioned, was actually in the in the bundle with this game. I don't think we've done that game, but I'd really like to it, do it it's if based, we haven't. It's based on an anime, so we'd probably have to like at least understand what the anime is about, right? Yeah, you know, and we've done uh, so many of these that maybe we did do it. I don't know. No, no we, we didn't. didn't. We, we didn't, didn't do this. But one. no, that, that would be a fun one. Um, it's kind of like a dungeon crawler, right? Right. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that it was kind of like their little uh, dipping their toes into the water to become kind of like a Japanese game uh, uh, localizer, which is kind of cool. The game was originally slated for February 27, 2001, but was eventually moved back a, uh, forward a month to March 21st. When the game released, it had positive reviews for both the Dreamcast and N64. Often the treasure style of the game was cited in praise. Uh, IGN stated that the game was an addictive and original hodgepodge of genres and game mechanics that de- defy easy explanation. Game fans said that Bankayo played like an SNES game with less slowdown, higher resolution, and more color. Reviewers who had played both console versions preferred the Dreamcast one, citing updated graphics, new CD quality soundtrack, and more streamlined gameplay. However, reviewers were more critical of the game's graphics, likely because the Dreamcast was expected to be a 3D powerhouse, and here they were being presented with a retro-style 2D game. Dreamcast Magazine UK, which 
I always feel like when we bring it up, it's never in a positive right. light. I was gonna I, say, I, I feel bad yeah, for the they people were in the UK. I do too because we we constantly talk about uh, the the American one, ODCM, and how great it was, and then Dreamcast Magazine UK comes out with a big loud fart, right? And big they said um, they they called the game unimaginative. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Did we? Did we play the game same have game? Seen, like what the? Have we? Are we going to pretend that we all haven't seen British food and understand what imaginative is? Like, come on! Mm. Like, I know the the array of colors on your plate from brown to white <laughs> to yellow. Okay, we can't make fun of British people. Sorry, guys. Oh, uh, we whatever. Love, I, they they have soccer. They know what they did. They have soccer. I just watched a video. I watched a video today of a British guard kicking a child. Shame, shame on Glad you. Glad our police um, officers and other people in authority would never do anything like that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Um, so, <laughs> and I, I thought this was this was kind of wild. So, if this doesn't put the game, the time that the game released in perspective, Bangayo was nominated for the electronic, the Electric Playgrounds 2001 Blister Award for best console shooter game, but it lost to. Halo Combat Evolved. <laughs> wow. So, I've never heard um, of that game. What is it about? Halo? And it's like a god game? Well, and maybe I'm think maybe I'm thinking too much about this, but do you see this as kind of a turning point in gaming? Not not just this win of Halo over Bangayo, but just the mere fact that these two games could exist on store shelves together. I think it was uh literally like seeing like the past and future, like Japanese gaming. It almost feels like a metaphor, right? Where like uh, right. <clears throat> American games were literally going to we're going first person slash third person and we're changing all of gaming starting right now like right. first person shooters still dominate Fortnite is a first person shooter uh, you know what I mean Apex Legends that people are playing all the kids is a first person shooter right. so this is the start of that domination and then seeing the old Japanese <laughs> using old technology trying to uh, go against a uh at the time, Halo Combat Evolved was the most cutting-edge game on consoles. Absolutely. And I mean, that isn't to say that smaller games getting disc releases didn't continue for several years after this and, you know, even to today. But just the mere fact that, like, a game where the development team intentionally avoided 3D graphics to try to push 2D, going up against possibly one of the biggest 3D first-person shooter games of all time that basically uh, revitalized a, a genre, created a franchise that basically defined and some would say like saved the Xbox. And honestly, like Bangayo feels like an Xbox Live Arcade title by comparison. It's like, what why is this getting a full retail disc release when one console generation later... Bangayo HD literally released as an Xbox Live Arcade title alongside the likes of Halo 2, Halo 3, you know? So it's like, it's just, I, I, I don't think the development team ever felt like they, I bet they didn't even really know about this award. I don't think they cared. Right. But just the mere, just the fact that you would look at, you know, like if this were the Oscars, you'd see Bangayo. Halo, you know, it's kind of like, right. and holy crap. What do you th- think about, like, the idea that, I don't know, they people saw these games, right? Like, the, the Xbox was brand new. The Dreamcast was already out for a few years. People were saying that it was dying. And then all of a sudden, uh-huh. they're, like, showing you these games, and they're all Halo, and you're like, oh, my God, that's cutting-edge 3D graphics with LAN, and you could do all this crazy stuff you can never do in any other game. And then they're like, oh, yeah, and this game on Dreamcast, and it's a Sega Genesis game, and it's all pew, 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 with little missiles. I know, right? So to me, it's like, I don't know, it would have been weird because, I mean, my friends didn't talk about it that much, like the console war stuff, but they did bring it up sometimes where they'd be like, oh, this game looks great on PlayStation 2. Uh, What does Dreamcast have that's like this, right? Uh, It would have been weird trying to explain to people like, no... The Dreamcast has other first-person games. We have Quake 3. We have uh, Unreal Tournament. And they're like, what about that Bangayo? I saw it on the awards show. It looks like a Genesis game, right? Right, exactly. Right. Exactly. I mean, thankfully, the Dreamcast was kind of on the outs at this point. Mm. So it's not like they were being hurt by appearing at an awards show. But it is just kind of fascinating that those two sat 
side by side. It's kind of like when you look in the past and you're like, holy crap, like Charlie Chaplin was making a movie when, you know, Jackie Chan, you know, like right. not that that happened, no. but like there's just kind of, sometimes these situations where you're like, oh, this guy who was born in like the 1800s actually starred in a movie with this guy who's still alive today. Right, you know? right. It's, it's interesting. Um, there is technically a collector's edition of the game that was given out as part of a contest in Japan <gasps> and only five copies were ever made making it extremely rare but I before you it. get too excited oh. i know this edition is known as the, the prize edition and outside of the pack-in items it looks ex- it's the exact same game uh it comes with a sticker two calling cards signed by the game's artist as well as a poster and it actually was um a featured blog post about a little over 10 years ago on price charting. And they talk about how it was up for sale on eBay at one point um, with no bids. Really? How much did it want? I don't know. If, um, oh, the game sold for $811. Oh, that was worth it. I mean, I mean, worth it in the fact that you could tell people you have this one of five, but... Kind of dumb in the end because it is literally like every single version. So outside of vanity sake for the right. stickers. It, it looks like it came with a copy of Dreamcast Magazine, the, the Japanese one. Right. The two calling cards, the poster, and I don't know where the sticker is, but it's there somewhere. So it's, I mean, to call it, it its own edition is kind of a stretch. That's like saying... I don't know that like you included Sonic a copy of Sonic Frontiers in like a box with a t-shirt right. like that doesn't make the game any different but still kind of interesting cuz only 5 of these exist so you're not going to see that I don't think you'll see it again you know It's funny seeing um, the comments here people were like trying to guess how much it would go for and they're like $4000 I'm sure 811 bucks Right <laughs> right So there's there's the prize edition of the game um, Bangayo received two sequels, the first being Bangayo Spirits in 2008 for the Nintendo DS, and the second being Bangayo HD Missile Fury in 2011, released to Xbox 360's Xbox, XBLA. And before you, like like I did, rushed to the live the store to try to download it, Not there. it's sadly now delisted. And it was delisted uh, a little over a year ago, I think during the pandemic. Um, no announcement, it just disappeared, which really sucks, because I would have downloaded it in a heartbeat had I known. I wonder who um, noticed, who owns the IP. Treasure, maybe? Why would it get delisted, though? That's what I don't understand. There's nothing... It is Treasure, so why would it... It's a treasure game. I'm hoping that they, they do a port, because I noticed that they did a Radiant Silver Gun, and they did a Ikigura uh, recently, and mm. they've been kind of like showing off the, that. I hope that maybe we'll get like a Bang Bangio kind of like retro collection would be nice. That would be cool, yeah. Um, the sequels feature the same gameplay, but bring in more weapons and gameplay elements. Uh, both sequels also feature level editors, which is pretty cool. And the XB- XBLA version features multiplayer modes. Uh, were you aware of these sequels? I was aware of uh, Spirits on the DS because I remember seeing it in um, in the stores when it came out. Uh, I thought, again, the same way. It kind of reminds me of a, the covers for these games. It reminded me of a cheap uh, Japanese kids show. And I think that's what it was going for. Like a Saturday morning car- mm-hmm. cartoon t- TV show, so and I remember seeing the cover, and I, I always thought it was weird that they didn't use any of the anime characters on the cover for the U.S., making it I think less appealing. I think the anime characters kind of mm-hmm. give it a little more vibe. So yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I I knew of the DS one, but I never really got into it. I kind of want to buy it now. I mean, I could get one of those little. I don't know, like if there's a DS EverDrive or something. Right, they're called something else, but there is, there, there is obviously. Yeah, yeah, but the game itself is actually not that expensive. You can get it for sixty complete, which is close to retail. Mm-hmm. Uh, cartridge only is about thirty-five bucks, so it's not that bad. No. Um, and it's worth noting as we record this that the 3DS eShop is shutting down no. next week. So, yeah. 
R.I.P. It's so it's so silly though because here we are talking about the 3DS eShop shutting down, and yet elements of the Xbox 360 marketplace are still there. Like, do you think uh, what's with? I, and this is a thing too. Like Nintendo wants you to invest in their ecosystem, but they're always doing this. Like you should be like working hard on connecting all these ecosystems together. Like. These games, right. should, if you buy a Super Nintendo game on the Switch with your money, it should be the 3DS and it should just be all unlocked in all of your accounts. Like, I don't understand this whole, like, right. separation. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I know. And, 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 and then I'm learning that there are, like, DSi games on the 3DS, so I gotta, like, check those out, too. I'm done, though. I, I told myself that I was gonna buy all the Phoenix Wright stuff, and I did that, and I'm done. Um... Because I did want those games, at least. Have you picked up any of the um, Switch ports? I know they did, uh, like, uh, physical collections on a physical disc of the, like, um, maybe the the one with the new kid? Uh, the one after him? Apollo? Apollo, yeah. Justice? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apollo Creed. Apollo <laughs> no, Creed, Apollo right. Justice, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a shame because, you know, we're here talking about... Uh, a DS Bangayo game that never had a digital release, and then we're talking about a digital Bangayo game that is delisted, and then a, the original game is uh, one hundred and seventy-five dollars. So it is a of the three, I would say Bangayo Spirits is the most affordable. Um, it's just a shame the HD one's just like not available anymore, and I was I stupidly never bought it because I didn't really think much about it. Pirated. Um, yeah, I think I, I have to figure that out. Um, final thoughts on Bangayo. George, you go first. So, I think I need to play this game, so I don't have too many thoughts of this. But I do remember the game I was thinking about, and now that I look at the game, it doesn't remind me outside that it's a mech game, but it's called Ranger mm. X. And it's like uh, the one, oh. so you're in a mech in on a ship, and then you could like separate yourself from the ship. It's usually a side-scroller. Yes. It's pretty interesting. I think the game uh, has this really cool aesthetic. Uh, obviously, the, the characters on this other game are a little bit bigger. Um, than, um, mm-hmm. But most of the gameplay I've seen from Ranger X, you're not really flying around, even though you could technically fly around in this game. Right? But, yeah. Yeah, anyway. yeah. But it, it definitely kind of like, if you look at the screenshots, there is like a, right. a similarity there for right. sure. That's pretty cool. That's I think that's on the mini, right? I, I'm not sure if it's on the mini. I haven't played too much of the mini. Uh, I haven't had that much free time to play it, but I'm not sure. It could be. I'm almost 100. I think you might be right about this because it has a, a playing game, but I'm not sure if it's this one. Maybe it's on the Mega Drive Mini, mm. but not the Genesis Mini. But if you change the region, you get Region X. I like that oh, they did that. Or Ranger X. Right. Mm. I like that they did that. Anyway, but that you could just get the other ones. Um. Yeah, I know. That's that's a sweet feature of it. Um, for me, final thoughts, it's a fun but kind of foot... I wouldn't call it a footnote, but it's definitely a tiny game in the uh, Treasure catalog. But it's fun. I, I wish there were more tiny games like this from them, where it's just like a fun idea that a, a small team works on. Um, seems like the game was a success. It got positive reviews. There was no nothing in terms of sales... But I'm presuming it sold well. I mean, the, <laughs> you only make ten thousand N64 cartridges, and I'm certain those sold out. Right. So, yeah, it's um, it's a franchise I think that deserves to come back. I I would love to see the original game ported. I'd love to see Missile Fury, the HD version, brought back. Um, it's just a shame that it's delisted with no like fanfare. I remember when um. Uh, well, well, there was another treasure thing. Was it Gunstar Heroes HD that was delisted? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's still around. It, it, um, Guardian Heroes, maybe. Guardian Heroes, yeah, right. yeah. And um, but right. And and Radiant Silver Gun, but it's just it's unfortunate that it hasn't seen like re-releases like those have. I'd love to see a Switch port, um, maybe of all of them, like a, a Bangayo collection where it has the original. With both translations, it has the uh, DS version, it has the HD version. Would be cool. This is something that um, uh, Treasure actually talked about. Like when uh, Ikuguro came out, they said they wanted to do more ports, and then they just stopped. Like mm-hmm. so, I, I I never know with them because 
they always announce all these plans and rumors and then nothing comes from it. Remember when like I remember when mm-hmm. uh Radiant Silver Gun came out on the Xbox Live Arcade, it was like rumored that they were working with Microsoft on making a third entry to the shoot 'em up game. So it's like Radiant Silver Gun, mm-hmm. Ikagura, and then whatever the third one will be. But never happened. Yeah. Sad. Mm. Sad indeed. But you know what's not sad are the Patreon memories that we have. So uh, just like Bangayo, we have a tiny selection here. We have Nicholas Schaefer sharing his thoughts. He says, well, my only real memory of this game is wanting it. This was constantly the game that I would carry around the store, but when I made the final call, I would always put it back. Uh-oh. It looked really cool, but because I knew nothing about it, I was always afraid to spend my money on it versus something I would like. In hindsight, I wish I picked it up. Yeah, $175. Uh, you should have picked it up. I agree. Me and him um, both. Don't, you know, and I've, I've learned my lesson nowadays when I see a game that I'm like, this looks niche. I get it, and I... I tell you, um, Rhythm Thief and Hatsune Miku for 3DS. I picked up both of those, and I believe those are both fairly expensive games right. now. So don't don't sleep on it. If you think it looks cool, get it. You never know. Uh, George, what are we going to be talking about next time? Next time on Sega Talk, we will be talking about a Sega video game. I think you guys should really... Tune in for the next one because it's going to be a very special game, <laughs> hand selected by. You don't know what it is. No, I don't know what it is. What is it? Because it's not. It's not yeah. even a game. I think you're going to be talking about the 32x hardware. Ooh, all right. We'll be talking about outdated, trashy hardware called the 32x. <laughs> I'll tell you more about it. its five titles that have released Ouch. North America. It's overinflated price Ouch. and its lack of marketing. Next time. Ouch. On Sega Talk. Bye. Bye. Sorry about leaving in such a negative. <laughs> no, you were like, oh, it's a game.